Amen. Thank you, Dan. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here with you. Um, what great news about what God is doing through your giving, your praying, your doing, that by his grace, we will be closing on this facility that will continue to help us facilitate the mission of God locally and across to the nations. I was re- recently reading uh, the last few months a book called Mission Drift. And the author Peter Greer writes about the unspoken crisis facing all faith-based organizations. And in the book, he goes about countless hours of evaluations, countless hours of research of organizations that have drifted, floating away from their original purpose. Peter Greer says this in his book, Without careful attention, faith-based organizations will inevitably drift from their founding mission. It's that simple, and it will happen slowly, quietly, and gradually, changing their direction, and one day they hardly resemble the institution their founders intended. See, it's, it's very obvious that one of the main reasons why these organizations are drifting or have drifted is because they're led by, by people, they're led by, by humans, by us. And Chris Crane, who's the president and CEO of Edify, says this in the book, the natural course, the unfortunate natural evolution of many originally Christ-centered missions is to drift. Floating and drifting. Floating and drifting is our human nature. And church, oh, how easy it is to drift. See, these individuals, these organizations didn't have a, let's have a change our mission day. It didn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, drifting occurs slowly, quietly, gradually, leaving you completely in a different direction than you originally intended. One of the greatest examples, if not one of the greatest, the greatest example of mission drift is given to us by the early church in Acts. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples of the church, and he gives them clear instructions, clear as it can be, of what needs to happen, what must be done. And he says in Acts 1, chapter 1 verse 8, he says, And you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, what are you going to do with this power? He says, you will be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But what happens after Acts chapter 1 is for the next seven chapters, the early church was primarily still in Jerusalem. Now, the question is, were they doing good things? Absolutely. Were they serving? Absolutely. Were they sacrificing? Absolutely. Suffering? Yes, they were. But were they going to the ends of the earth? The answer is no. So in Acts 8.1, God in his infinite authority allows the church to be persecuted. And what he does is he scatters the church. Acts 8 verse 4, we're reminded, says, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. Here's the thing. Even the early church who was deeply in love with Christ 
they experienced drifting. So God had to remind them, I will not drift from the mission. You know, sometimes it breaks my heart when I see drifting by the comment of, why would we spend money in going where there's so much work to be done here? And I, I love the heart of the person that says that for the work that needs to be done here. And there's a lot of work to be done here. But if that was the mentality of the early church, and if God didn't scatter them, you and I would be here lost without the gospel today. Church, it does start here, but it must and will end there. And the danger of drifting is that drifting is an act of floating aimlessly. And when we float aimlessly, we allow the waves of the world to tell us where we're going. But like we just sang in the last song, praise be to God, praise be to God, that in Christ we don't have to float. Praise be to God that we don't let the waves tell us where to go. We cut through the waves and tell the waves where we're going. And where are we going? We're going where Jesus calls us to go. And that's to the end of the world. Matthew 24, 14, which is today's verse, says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, this morning I want you, I'm excited, because I want you to hear from two special guests that are with us this morning. So we, we, we don't, and we won't have the time to dive deep or wide into this massive verse, but for those of us, for those of you deep thinkers here, uh, let me just express that I'm fully aware of the magnitude of this verse. Fully aware. And to try to tackle a full exposition on this verse this morning, we don't have the time and even it's beyond my ability. So I, I do want to shepherd you well because this speaking platform that we're given comes with the responsibility to shepherd you. So I want to point out two quick observation from this verse to encourage us. The first observation is the divine wills of God will be fulfilled. Let me explain what I mean by that. The assurance of this verse that we just read is not subject to or created or caused by the church. What I mean is God didn't create the church and then tell it to come up with a mission plan. The mission has always been about the kingdom of God and God created the church to fulfill the mission. It's always been about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, it means it will be done. It will be done. That's what I love about all the divine wills of God in Scripture. They're sustained and they're fulfilled by the infinite power and authority of God. All of them. Let's go back to one of our Messianic verses from last week from Richard, Zechariah 8, 7 through 8. And it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. 
The wills of God all point to the truth that since the atonement was necessary, since it was provided by God, and since the ransom has been paid, what God has purchased, he will bring home. It's his. He will bring it home. So every person that comes to faith in Christ right here in Spartanburg, Asheville Highway, Highway, across to the nations, to the ends of the world, will do so by the infinite power and authority of God. The hope of the nations hearing and Jesus returning is fully dependent on the promises of God. Now, leads me to my second observation because there's more to this infinite power and authority. The divine wills of God provide an invitation. God's infinite power and authority over his plan of salvation should not lessen our zeal for the mission. It should not. As a matter of fact, what it should do is it should joyfully increase in knowing that we've been given a grace-stamped invitation to join him in the mission. That's why he says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The I wills of God are just as important as the how will he do it. And in Romans 10, 14 through 15, he tells us, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can everyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, last month, a couple guys, about a group of four or five of them, in partnership with a local organization called Christmas in Action, had the opportunity to serve a family in the neighborhood across from where our new location is going to be. And this was a family, elderly couple, deteriorating in health. The husband uh, can only be mobilized through a wheelchair, and they needed, desperately needed a wheelchair. So several guys got together. It was brought up to our attention by one of our dear brothers from here. And in partnership with Christmas in Action, they went ahead and built a beautiful, beautiful ramp for this family. But... As I'm looking through the pictures and as I'm working this week through the message, I was reminded of that. And then in talking to Richard, he reminded me of a great illustration. And I had to write it out so that you can see it. He said, if you saw a nail that was flush with a piece of wood, you would know that at some point a hammer had driven that nail into that wood. That nail did not get in that wood by itself. The hammer was vital in the process. Yes, God holds the hammer. So yes, he provides the power for the nail to be driven into the wood. But he always chooses to do the nailing by means of a hammer. Yes, God will reach people from every nation, culture, and language. But every single person he reaches, he does so through a saved and sent person. Believer, the hammer is us. We're the hammer. The hammer is our preaching, it's our teaching, it's our evangelizing. So glory to God for holding the hammer. But praise be to God for all the faithful hammers that have said to him, here I am, send me. Zechariah 
tells us in 8.9, this is what the Lord Almighty says, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Whole point, may our hands be strong in proclaiming the nations here and there. Because here's the thing, God promises that one day, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the ends of the world and mission will stop forever. But the thing that will remain for eternity is the applause and the worship of our living king. And he says in Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Revelations 5, 9 reminds us, and they sang a new song saying, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Whole point family. If the heavens are singing about the nations, then we will and must be about the nations. We will and must be about the nations. And I know you so bad want to be reminded of this. You want to be constantly reminded of this, that by God's grace, you raised up four years ago a position as a missions pastor. And, and by doing that, you're saying we want our, ha- our hearts to increasingly love what Christ loves. And just know, oh, how my heart longs to be an instrument of God to help and assist you to stay focused on the mission. But know that my task, my task is, is not just to help you see where Jesus is looking or even, even just to take you there. My task is also to prepare you. We're reminded in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared. And we prepare so that we will minister like Paul. When he was going into the new cultures in Acts 14.1, and it says, they spoke so effectively that they may believe, that many believed. The preparing is just as important as the going. So today, I want to take this time to continue to prepare us by looking at a couple opportunities that, by God's grace, uh, he's provided in taking the gospel of the kingdom to the nations here and across the oceans. But just know that with any peoples or any people group, anyone we're working with ministering to, we don't apologize for interrupting their worldview. We don't. We humbly go and we proclaim. We proclaim. Why? There is no greater way to love somebody than to tell them about the living, heart-cleansing, joy-birthing truth of Jesus Christ. But we also know that the best communicators are are those who have an emotional connection with their audience. And they know what their audience is feeling and dealing with. That is why we love the quote that you hear here. What the eyes have not seen, the heart cannot grieve. We want to be a church that grieves and prays. We want to be a church that grieves and gives. We want to be a church that grieves and goes. So one way that we do that is by preparing you with opportunity that God has given us. Let's go to this video. When the war started in Syria in March 2011, I remember that after one or two months of starting the ministry among the Syrian refugees, I felt a heavy burden on my shoulders. And 
I started to cry, not knowing why. The, the main question that was, was coming to my mind, who's going to reach those people with the gospel? I looked around myself and there are few. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands. And the, there is no one thinking of reaching them. Who's going to reach those people? And as I was crying and asking this question, the, the answer came to my mind saying, you, you are going to reach those. Well, I think everyone's familiar at this point with what's going on in Syria, what has turned out into pretty much an all-out civil war. It's just a tragic story of human suffering right now. A lot of loss of life, over 30,000 people, they say now. A lot of displacement of peoples internally, but also a lot of refugees uh, pouring over the borders and surrounding countries. So really tragic circumstances. Since six months till now, a lot of things happened. And the number of Syrians were increased rapidly during these months. Till now, we were able to help, as a church, more than 1,000 families. Uh, and we were able now to visit, uh, during the week, more than 200 families every week. Still, the needs are the same needs, because um, people coming in the same situation since one and a half years, till now, they came with nothing with them. So they need everything. but. Uh, we give them the basic needs, uh, such as mattresses, blankets, stoves, and fans, food packages. It's a need now, it's not a luxurious thing, it's a need, because you, they are not staying for one week or one month, it's months now. I came to Ramadan, الغبره العجاج حمامات ما في وانا جاي بثيابي كلياتنا جايين بثيابنا ما معنا لا مصاري ولا معنا اغراض ولا معنا شهربانين هريبي you know we see the news and everybody uh, it's a, it's our, our tendency to to get our, our our opinions and our perspective from the news so often it's really kind of hard to find the good news uh, during these days but we really are uh, seeing the hand of god move in, in incredible ways during these days among Syrian peoples that are crossing the borders. When you don't have access to people, and then you have access to them, it, it takes a while for the, for, for the veneer to go down, for, for, for you to understand that these are people, uh, yes, they're suffering, but these are also people who, who, who feel like we do, and people who have needs like we do, um, and they're just families. The amazing opportunities that we're having are not just to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to give, to give food, um, and uh, to help them at their, their point of felt need, but also for their spiritual need, is every opportunity, every house that we go into, we're having an opportunity to share the gospel boldly, uh, clearly, uh, just every, every, every time we get into a house. It's amazing. We're to the point where we're not just waiting for God to do this thing, He's already doing it, and we don't wanna miss the boat. That's something that two, two and a half years ago, it wasn't happening, and, and so I don't wanna miss out on what is an incredibly unique time in history. And there's ways for all of us to be part of it. We have opportunities on our doorstep. Hundreds of thousands of people that we have not had access to inside of their country, we now have access to. And we don't know uh, what our access and what our opportunities are gonna look like a year from now. Uh, so we really just have to seize them while they're here. We don't know what the future holds about the political situation in Syria, in Lebanon, and the Middle East. 
But we know that God is in control and he will bring everything to his glory. And we know that the church should be uh, awake and seize the opportunities and be able to read the signs and take advantage of every opportunity that is opening. Even in war, there, is, there are great opportunities. Right, church, for well, this morning we have the privilege of being joined by Imad Elias. Imad has been serving in the Middle East for over 12 years. And we also have Carrie Dotson, who is Director of War Relief Upstate here in South Carolina. And we'll start with Imad. Imad, a few of us have had the privilege of uh, uh, getting to know you um, through uh, joining you in the Middle East a couple times last year. Um, but for those that don't know you, give us a quick history, a quick bio of yourself, um, and, and what God is doing. Well, I was, uh, I was born in Khartoum, Sudan in 1960. Then I had to leave Sudan at uh, the age of 12, 1972, because the, uh, the Sudanese government nationalized all the private industries, and my dad had to leave the country to find another job. So left Sudan, lived in Nigeria for a year, Lebanon for two years. And then when the civil war started in Lebanon in 1975, I had to move from Lebanon to Egypt. And in Egypt, where really, uh, in a, of all places, in a Coptic, Coptic, the word Coptic means Egyptian. In Egyptian monastery, where I came to know the Lord through a Bible study was held inside uh, a Cop, an Egyptian monastery. And uh, at the age of 15, when I came to know the Lord Jesus inside that monastery, and then I was uh, really uh, did uh, Muslim uh, evangelism in Egypt, and and then after Egypt I went to Greece, finished my high school in Athens. I lived two years in Athens, Greece. After that I went to Oklahoma, was able to share, really preach the gospel in the streets of Stillwater, Oklahoma, and then in Dallas, in the streets of Dallas, preaching while going to school in. Uh, Criswell College, graduated in 89 with my BA in Biblical Studies, and then 94 with my uh, Master of Missiology. Then I was ordained as a pastor, did cross-cultural cross pastoring, uh, pastor of the Filipino church, and also was an associate pastor of an African church. Then did work in Mexico, Panama, and Peru. Really, it was kind of all, all those experiences really was a practical training for me where it got me to this point of really ministering to, uh, uh, to Muslims in the, in the Middle East. Now, if, just so you know, uh, he's an evangelist at heart. And uh, last year during our second trip, we took two teams as a cultural learning uh, observation of the ministry to see how we can and if God is leading us into engaging there and, and God has opened that door but he's an evangelist at heart and during our second second trip we were sitting at a restaurant and uh, I, it was just so incredible how Imad always took every opportunity God placed in front of him daily with conversations he would share the gospel with everyone he had a chance and I said Imad I noticed that you don't waste time. How do you, what is that, how do, you do that with everyone? How are you so intentional? And he looked at me and he said, Ronnie, what are you talking about? Hell is real and these people are going there unless somebody tells them. I need to tell them about Christ. So Imad, you know, in hearing that, you know, let those that um, 
that don't know where this passion comes from because you've been ministering to, to now uh, Muslims in the Middle East for, for at least 12 years or more. How did ministering to the Muslims become such a passion in your life? Really, I mean, uh, I, mean I could point to a uh, number of places where, for example, in Egypt, when we were in Alexandria, we went as a 16-year-old boy, we went as a group of people uh, from, from the, uh, a group of Egyptian, from the Egyptian Orthodox Church, just happened to be people who have experienced the new birth, and they wanted to preach the gospel to Muslims, and we covered all, like at least five, six beaches in Alexandria, where we covered the whole with, with tracks and personal conversation with, with Muslims about, uh, about Christ. And then also, really, I mean, uh, we're, we're uh, in, uh, in Mexico, uh, where we, we saw 3,100 people come to know Christ, preaching in the streets and from home to home, also in Peru and Panama. So this passion for where, also I spent one year in, Le in Lebanon uh, as a volunteer uh, before I began to serve the Lord uh, uh, full-time in the Middle East. Mm. Amen to that. Amen to that. Now, I, I love what someone said in the video, and, and I quoted it here. The church should be awake and take advantage of every door of opportunity that God is opening. So would you please share with us, how, how are you seeing God open this door, and, and how can the church effectively engage? Had it not been for the civil war in Syria, we would not have been able to reach refugees. It was difficult. I mean... I had friends that had to leave Syria because no longer they were uh, able to continue serving the Lord. So the civil war brought Syrian refugees to three surrounding countries around Syria. I served the Lord in both of two of those three countries. Uh, one of them where I was, uh, for the first six years, uh, uh, Syrians began by the tens of thousands come to, to the north of this country, where first I was in the capital city of this country, I had to change gear and travel three hours, two, three times a week, uh, uh, leave seven o'clock in the morning, reach at 10 in the morning, and then for about 15 hours until one o'clock in the morning, we would go into homes with a truck that has between 80 and 120 boxes of food and go into the homes and give the people food. And as we give them food, we open the word of God and share the stories of Jesus. And we were able to distribute uh, MP3s, like uh, 3,000 MP3s and about 5,000 New Testaments. And as they put the MP3 and they begin to hear, you see tears as they hear the teachings of Jesus, especially those who cannot read the Bible. And we open the scriptures and share. We were able in 15 months to share with 12, share the gospel with 12,000 people uh, in, that, in that first year and a half, two years of my, my, my ministry in that particular country. Wow, you know, and, and just, it just, I was just reminded of while we were there last year sitting down in, in the living room of a family and them asking, why would you fly all the way from America here to... To, to, to do this, to bring us food, to love it. Why do you Christians love us Muslims more than we Muslims love us Muslims? And, and that was a statement that has stayed in my mind and my heart um, since last year. And it, it's just to see the opportunity that God is opening um, 
for us to engage in taking the, the kingdom, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. God is at work. It's at work. And now, Imad, we, we, we as a church rejoice. We always rejoice where, where Christ comes to, come, comes to um, be known and comes to be uh, loved and comes to be worshipped. Um, but we're also reminded in Scripture that the, the gospel will spread through suffering and sacrifice, right? So uh, these dear brothers and sisters that were Muslim background believers that have come to faith in Christ, uh, what, what, what is it like for them when they come to faith? What are they giving up? And how, how has their life been impacted? Well, I can, I can just think of one story. I'm not going to mention her real, real name. I'm going to call her Mary. In, in one country where I was, uh, I, had, I had people from, from China, uh, from Japan, from Germany, from France, from England, from the Netherlands. People just practically from all over the world coming to that place where I'm uh, uh, serving the Lord. And this particular incident I had, the two ladies and two young men from the Netherlands. And we were in this group, and we were sharing with six women from Syria. And they prayed with us, but really one of them really began to grow. Her name is, uh, you know, Mary. And Mary, uh, one time, because she began to have Bible studies in her home, and people, her husband is not a Christian yet. He's not a follower of Jesus. So people began to talk to her husband. Why are you letting your, 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 uh, your wife, uh, you know, they began to persecute them. And then the husband said, my wife can do whatever my wife wants to do as far as teaching about Jesus. Uh, and you keep away from my wife. He let her. And, uh, and one time, as some of our sisters with the same organization where I am, uh, began to disciple this uh, particular lady. And uh, they taught her the story of John and Peter uh, when they were persecuted, when they began sharing Christ. And, uh, and, and, and this Mary said, I want the gospel to spread through me as she listened to the story of John mm. and, and, and Peter wow. in the book of Acts in chapter 3. Wow, praise God, praise God. Thank you for all you do and continue to do in your obedience and going to the nation. We're, we're glad you're here. And, and we also know that God tells us in his word in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, that he's the one that creates the nations. He's the one that created every individual, and he sets the boundaries and the time of where they will live and for how long. So since we know that, we, we are seeing how God is moving the nations into our own neighborhood. So if God is about moving the nations, then we need to be about moving where God is moving. So we always want to... Equip and mobilize the church to be local and global in everything we do when it comes to spreading the gospel. So today we have Carrie Dodson with us. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Like I said, Carrie is with War Relief. She's the director of War Relief Upstate. Carrie, please just share with us um, your role at War Relief and how this passion for refugees starts. Sure, I am the director of the World Relief Office here in Upstate, one of the newer offices for World Relief. And my passion for refugees really started when I was younger, um, studying about the Holocaust and thinking about that. It's just as a young child thinking, why didn't someone do something about that? You know, as a young child, your innocent mind, why didn't someone do something about that? And then years later, um, traveling throughout Asia, um, found myself in the middle of the killing fields of Cambodia 
And thinking of the history there where um, a million people were killed in a very short period of time, and um, why didn't someone do something about that in Cambodia? And now when you look at what's happening around our world right now with um, Syria, um, with refugees in Syria, refugees coming out of Burma, uh, Rohingya Muslims that are being persecuted, um, thinking about that, thinking, why doesn't someone do something about that? And World Relief is one of those agencies, um, one of nine organizations that um, helps to resettle refugees here in the United States. And so, yeah, so with that, that's just really where the passion began. Mm. And knowing that World Relief um, works in and through the church to, uh, to minister to people who are coming out of um, persecution and, um, mm. and having to flee their country, um, that's what brought me here. Oh, great, yeah. World Relief began to resettle refugees into Spartanburg in 2015. And by God's grace and God's grace alone, Hope Point has been a part of, of helping resettle, uh, even from the first families. Um, and and just, just, just to, to tell you, uh, God gets all the glory. We get zero credit for that, okay? We just get boundless joy for being a part of what he says to be a part of. But from 2015, uh, we've been a partner of War Relief in helping resettle some of these refugees. So uh, what, I, what I want our church to know, Carrie, is uh, how have you seen the program change over the last three years, and how have you seen the community's willingness to receive refugees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, World Relief continues to resettle refugees. The numbers are a little lower this year than they have been in the past, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, as far as how our community has changed, uh, before I came here, um, I had heard a little bit about the um, a little anxiety that this community experienced when refugees first came to resettle here. And um, so I knew that that was a concern three years ago. Um, since I have been here, I've not felt that personally. Um, as I've been speaking with churches and working with, with, uh, with, uh, with people's, people of this community, I've not felt that. Um, But one thing that really um, stood out to me just recently, um, one of our volunteers that helped resettle a family um, three years ago when we first started, um, this particular volunteer was helping to resettle a new family that just arrived a couple of weeks ago. And when uh, he was uh, in um, a public building with this family in an elevator, um, a gentleman from this community got on that elevator And the first thing he said was, where are y'all from? And uh, the volunteer kind of stepped back because he remembered um, some concerns of this community years ago. And so he wasn't quite sure where that question was coming from. But he said, you know, he just went ahead and answered them and said, this is a family that's Congolese. And they're coming here from a refugee camp in Rwanda. And they're going to build their new lives here in Spartanburg. And uh, the gentleman just looked at them shook each one of their hands and said, welcome, we're glad you're here. Mm. And that just really says to me the testament of this community and how um, as people have gotten to know clients from um, refugees from, from various parts of the world, um, they're starting to realize that they're just people yeah. and they're just people who want their families to be safe. They want, their, they want to rebuild their lives and, um, and this is the place um, that's welcoming them now. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen. So, you know, just so we can be up to date, can you give us, uh, uh, tell us how the situation looks today yeah. when it comes to the resettling of refugees uh, through World Relief? Yeah, so World Relief, um, we started in 2015. In the past three and a half years, we've resettled over 350 refugees in both Greenville and Spartanburg. 
Um, that number has um, significantly changed this past year. We, um, last year, we resettled 135 people. Um, this year, the number is at 45 refugees, and we're just about at the end of our fiscal year. And what that's mirroring is what's going on nationwide. Um, as you know, um, back in 2016, um, there was a change in the administration. Um, the president of the country um, sets the number of refugees that are allowed to be in the country each year. And um, the president at that time switched the num changed the number to, from 110,000 to 50,000. And then um, every October, the president makes a declaration as to how many can come in um, for, uh, for the next year. And he set that for this fiscal year at 45,000. So the number, um, the number significantly decreased nationwide. And with that, um, we saw that decreased here in the upstate as well. Um, right now, even though the, the, the cap, if you will, is set at 45,000, the numbers are likely, we're at the, almost at the end of the fiscal year, the fiscal year, in, year ends in September, and the numbers are likely going to end up being about 20,000, 22,000 people resettled um, this year. Um, and we are seeing that. Um, we're seeing that here in the upstate. Um, we have resettled families, which has been a huge blessing. We uh, resettle uh, mostly people from former Soviet Union uh, states, uh, such as um, uh, Belarus and Ukraine. Um, we resettle refugees from the Congo as well, and just recently resettled family uh, from there. We resettle um, refugees from Burma or Myanmar. Um, many right now that we've resettled have been Rohingya, which are Muslim. And, um, and then in addition to that, we'll settle periodically, we'll settle other people groups. We've resettled a family from Afghanistan um, uh, in the Middle East. Mm. So with 357 that have been resettled in the last three years, how are you seeing them integrated into our society and our communities? Yeah, I love, I love seeing the progress. Um, one thing that World Relief, our focus really is um, in that first 90 days that they arrive, helping them just to become stable, um, helping them to become stable with um, affordable housing, employment, um, medical services, ensuring that they're... Um, uh, children are registered for school and also um, that they're a part of an ESL program, so they're learning English. Um, but we want to move them from stability to integration, to full integration. And really the goal is to eventually move them to, to, um, to um, just where, where you've had a transformation of your heart. And, um, and really all of us know that that transformation can't happen without Christ. And so um, we work with uh, families uh, to bring alongside them a good neighbor team. And one family in particular that, um, that we have resettled is an Afghani family who's Muslim. And we connected them with a good neighbor team from a church. And um, that church has really um, helped walk with them through this process. Um, they didn't speak a word of English when they arrived. In fact, they couldn't make it to baggage claim. Um, and so we had to find them um, in the airport. And uh, once they arrived, one thing, this is such a God story, I have to share it. Um, we didn't have any people that spoke Adari, which is their language. And so um, our team was really praying about that. We had to pray for a Adari speaker. We didn't have one. And um, I remembered that there was someone that uh, the organization had resettled a few years ago had helped that was down in Anderson at uh, Clemson and was a PhD student there. And he agreed to come up and help us for the airport arrival, but that was all he could do. 
Um, and so we, um, we had him uh, come up for the airport arrival. We also discovered there was an Afghani restaurant in downtown Greenville. And so we talked to the owner, and um, the owner was willing to help us out when she could. Um, and so we had somewhat of an interpreter periodically. And then out of the blue, one of our staff ran into someone in the airport that he happened to know her parents, didn't know she lived in Spartanburg, and um, remembered that she grew up in Afghanistan as a missionary kid. And so she came over uh, at, to Greenville and helped us um, with that situation and helped us as an interpreter. And then uh, eventually, over the next couple of months, God sent two missionaries that were home. They had come off the mission field that had been in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And so we went from no interpreters to five interpreters. And um, God just provided the, the good neighbor team to walk alongside them. And um, they've recently come on their one-year anniversary of being here. And um, their children um, involved in school activities, um, learning English, um, working, the uh, parent is working full time. Um, it's, they're really thriving in their new community. And when we ask them, who are your friends, who are your community, they name all of the good neighbor team mm. members. That's their community, those are their friends. And um, it really has come to a point of transformation. There is no doubt that there's going to be an opportunity to share the gospel at mm. some point when the time is right. Amen. Yeah, amen. So, you know, we know that ministry comes with great joys and at the same time with great challenges. So can you quickly tell us uh, what are some ways that the church can engage and be involved in partnership with War Relief? Yeah, I think now, um, even though our numbers are lower this year for refugees that are coming into the country, um, we really want to go deeper with the refugees that are currently here. Um, there are still opportunities um, with uh, families that arrived. And so um, I really encourage everyone first to pray. Um, I love what you said about opportunities. Pray for opportunities to connect with someone from another background. Um, and, and I say pray that and, and be prepared to act on that opportunity because God will give you that opportunity. Um, whether it's with World Relief or your neighbor down the street, God will give you that opportunity. Um, I would say... Um, also, people who want to become friends, uh, become a language partner, learning English is so critical um, to a person's integration into a community, being able to communicate. Um, that's an opportunity. Um, Roadrunners are something that we have. People just transportation. Transportation is a huge issue. Um, the Afghani family that I just mentioned um, are learning to take the bus, and that's a huge obstacle to overcome is, is taking the bus. Um, but the bus doesn't go everywhere and doesn't run at the most convenient times. And so um, just really being prepared to help with transportation as needed. Um, homework tutors is another big um, uh, opportunity for people to be engaged. And when I say homework tutors, you don't have to know necessarily how to do um, science or math. It's really helping, it's helping a student know the homework assignment that was sent home because the parent can't speak English to help them work through it. And so having a homework partner um, to do that with the family in general. And then um, certainly donating financially with World Relief. And then I added this last one on here is to advocate. Um, just recently, we, just, we found out that the president is about to make the determination for the number of refugees coming into the country this year. He makes that usually um, every year before October 1. Um, there's an urgent need to encourage or advocate for refugees coming here. Um, and if you feel called to do that, um, to call the White House. And I've listed the number there. Um, we've already had uh, folks calling the White House and, and just asking for more refugees than the 25,000 that we think are probably uh, going to be approved. 
Amen. Amen. Oh, do you want me to mention the lunch? Absolutely. If you didn't, I was. Go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we are going to have a uh, luncheon here at Hope Point um, on September 23rd. For anyone who is interested in, uh, in learning more about possibly being a good neighbor team or doing individual volunteer opportunities, um, we're going to have that. And we also have a table in the back today if you uh, just want to pick up some information. Thank you, Carrie. This luncheon will be again on the 23rd. You can go to our website and um, register through the website. Childcare will be provided, et cetera. So um, there will be a lunch and then a learning opportunity for us on how we can engage. Now, I'll leave you with this. The nations are moving right here. And not all of them are refugees being resettled. Just internationals coming from all over the world. And our job as a church is to bring awareness and then provide platforms for you to engage in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to these people. So today, in the back, you'll see three tables. One would be um, for world relief. Another table would be for uh, English Crossing. Most of you, a lot of you have heard of English Crossing. And English Crossing is, is a local ministry um, right out of here, out of Hope Point. Um, and and they, serve, they serve the international community um, by using English, teaching English as a second language. Um, just to give you some stats from this fifth year that they just completed, uh, 152 students were ministered to through, from 25 different countries. They have three locations, 114 children here in the Bible stories every week, 65 volunteers from 14 churches. There, there's great need. They will begin their school year coming up now at the end of August. So if you want more information about English Crossing or about World Relief, please go to the table in the back. If, you, if you're going to grieve and go, which is the best way to understand also, whether it's locally or globally, be a part of one of our international trips. There's a team leaving to the Middle East in September, another one leaving to India in December. Go to our website, take a look at it, and pray about if, you, if it's your turn to go. So I, I just want to thank you both for being a part of Hope Point this morning, worshiping with us, and, and also we, on behalf of the church, want to thank you for your obedience in serving the nations locally and across to the nations. Let me just leave you with this, family. Mission drift is possible. It could happen if we don't stay focused. But God will not drift in his mission. So you and I need to decide whether or not we will be an available hammer for God. Let us pray this morning. And I've asked Imad this morning to pray for us, pray for the church that God may raise up more people to be involved locally and to the nations because we're reminded again that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the ends of the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I don't know about you, but I want to go home. I want him to come back. I want him to come back. Let us pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus, that at the end of his ministry, the only thing that was on his heart is that the gospel would be 
communicated and taken to the far ends of the earth. And that's why he said, the last thing he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Lord, I thank you for this church and what this church means to the nations that you have placed, Father, such a, a passion for you and a compassion for the lost. I pray, Father, that you will raise more laborers from this community, dear God, to take this precious gospel to the far ends of the earth, Father. I pray that if any has a desire, but they are just a little bit afraid, maybe because lack of experience or lack of uh, just that they don't know how to share, that they will be equipped, Father, that they will be trained, that you will use them, Father, in a mighty way. So thank you again for what this church is doing. Continue to work through this church, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Which is